RadioInfluence.com. You are sitting ringside with David Penzer on Radio Influence. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of City Rinkside. My name is David Penzer, and as always, we are so happy that you are here to listen to this thing we call a podcast. So we're very excited this week to have uh, Bushwhacker Luke. And for those of you who just know him as a Bushwhacker, uh, which is a Hall of Fame, uh, certainly uh, act, uh, WWE Hall of Fame, but uh, there's a whole 25-year history before they became the Bushwhackers as one of the greatest healed tag teams, uh, brawlers. They were hardcore before hardcore was cool. And we'll talk to, to Luke about that, him and Butch Miller. But uh, uh, if you've never heard of the Sheep Herders, I would uh, uh, suggest uh, putting this podcast on pause maybe for a couple of minutes. But don't forget to put it to hit play again, though, back when you're done. And Google the Sheep Herders uh, maybe versus the Fantastics, the Sheep Herders versus the Fabulous Ones, Sheep Herders in uh, in. Uh, Pacific Northwest. I don't know how much video there is of that. That's uh, pretty old, but um, but they were innovators of, uh, of 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 not only tag team wrestling, but they were innovators of hardcore tag team wrestling. So, um, uh, looking forward to delving in a little bit with uh, on that or a lot with Luke, and uh, been doing it since he was 15 years old. So it's been he started wrestling before. Uh, before I was born, four years before I was born, and I just turned 53. So God bless him, and what a career that he's had, and we're looking forward to hearing him tell some stories. Uh, great guy, nice guy, uh, smart, and uh, and should tell a lot of great stories. So stand by for that, not too far off, but um, do want to mention that we are taping this before, even though it's airing uh, afterwards, we're taping this before uh, Double or Nothing so we will not be talking about double or nothing, obviously. Uh, but, uh, we will definitely hit on double or nothing next week, uh, on the show. We're scheduled to have Chavo Guerrero Jr. on and what should be a fun interview about his career. But before that, we'll hit on, uh, we'll hit on double or nothing. Also working to get Leilani Kai to talk about, uh, the, uh, and the fabulous Moolah, um, and, and as you know, if you watch the Vice documentaries that were all wonderful, even though some of them were hard to watch uh, because of the outcomes, they, uh, the fabulous Moolah and, and, you know, there's all kinds of stories. Some people say, you know, that she did certain things. Some people say that she didn't do them. Uh, so Lilani Kai was a Moolah girl. And while we want to talk to Lilani about her career as well, uh, not just focus on the fabulous Mula. We'd be remiss if when she's on, if we didn't speak to her about that. So be looking for that uh, in the month of June. And uh, speaking of uh, double or nothing, uh, Jr. Jim Ross, fresh off his new podcast, it's uh, doing gangbuster numbers, is going to going to jump on and tell some stories with uh, good old Jr. Is going to tell some stories with good old David Penzer, and uh, so we're looking forward to that as well. So as always, if you don't follow me on Twitter. Uh, I'm always interacting. You can follow me at David Penzer. You can follow the podcast at Penzer Ringside. We appreciate any support. And uh, if you like what you hear, tell your friends. Somebody put Jerry, I don't know if you saw this. Somebody put on Twitter that when you're up at 3 in the morning and you can't sleep, the best thing to listen to is sitting ringside. He was listening to an episode with Stevie Ray. And I was, I'm thinking at first I like retweeted it. And I'm like, thank you for the kind words. And I'm thinking, are you inferring that we put you to sleep? 
So uh, God bless whoever wrote that. And thank you for the, I think you were being nice, but uh, if I put you to sleep, hey, hey, there's podcasts that all they do is put you to sleep. That's the purpose of the podcast is to bore you. So, hey, uh, we aim to please. <laughs> anyway, uh, be sure to spread the word. Uh, and uh, we appreciate you uh, listening and downloading and, 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 and coming up with questions. When I, when I open Twitter up for questions, we had a couple of questions uh, that we got for Bushwhacker Luke. So without further ado, let's uh, bring him on. He's the WWE Hall of Famer and the owner of the Clearwater Beach Fitness, uh, where you can not only see him, uh, but you never know who you're going to see working out there. A Hulk Hogan, Brutus the Beefcake, uh, maybe even Brian Nobbs. But uh, Brian would probably be there to have a beer and not so much to work out. God bless Brian. But uh, without further ado, please welcome my guest. Uh, uh, had a almost 60-year career. God bless him. Uh, I'm talking about Bushwhacker Luke and also one half of the Sheep Herders. Welcome to City Ringside. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this week on City Rankside, a WWE Hall of Famer uh, and the owner of Clearwater Beach Fitness. You need to visit if you're ever in the Tampa St. Pete Clearwater area. You never know who you might be working out with. Uh, I, I've been told that uh, a certain guy with the initials uh, HH uh, stops by there every once in a while, uh, 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 Hulk Hogan. So I uh, want to introduce my guest, Bushwhacker Luke. Bushwhacker Luke, welcome to City Ringside. Uh, how, how often does Hogan stop? Stop by the gym. Oh, he ought to stop at three or four times a week, mate. Wow, wow. It's great to be on your show, Ringside, uh, Dave, and uh, I'm here to give you a little thunder from going under. <laughs> thanks for thanks 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 for coming on. Been wanting to have you for a while here, and uh, uh, glad it worked out. So I was doing a little research about uh, about your career, and um, if the internet is right, which it is about half the time, uh, if it's not, correct me. You you broke in the business at about fifteen years of age. Is that correct? Correct, correct, mate. I was fifteen. Uh, in nineteen sixty-two, I broke in the business. That's unbelievable, and, and your career is still going strong. Not not as much in the ring now, but uh, appearances all over the world and uh, uh, WWE Hall of Fame. Tell tell us about how you broke in the business. How it was maybe different in in New Zealand, and and who got how, uh, who who got you involved, and who taught you. Just a little bit about your background. Okay, my next door neighbor was a bodybuilder, and that is um, winning the Mr. New Zealand show. One of the judges of the Mr. New Zealand show was a former Mr. New Zealand. Now, New Zealand wrestling promoter, and um, he said my uh, neighbour got number two, got second in the contest, and the and the judge says to him, "Do you want to make some money with that body?" And my partner did, didn't know that uh, Al Holman, who was the Mister New Zealand, and the judge owned a wrestling company, the main one in New Zealand, and he says, "What do you mean by that?" He said, "Well, the coolest thing in we actually." Um, I have a couple of rings there, and then we do professional wrestling. Now, this gym was like the, the number first, the number one, the first Rocky movie. The old gym with the steam pipes rattling, a steam room, two two boxing rings, and that 20 by 20, the the, um, the floors of the rings were just like a pavement of a road. Anyhow, and the, and, and the, uh, there was two machines. There was a, a base press rack, and there was a squat rack. Everything else was like kettlebells laying around the floor. There was a few barbells with loose plates. So real old school school gym. 
Anyhow, I started going in. I started going in with him. He he went for about six months. He said to me one day, "Do you want to come with me?" So I started coming in. I was around about 170, 175 soaking wet, and then and I started going in the gym there with him. And I learned. And um, at the time, that gym was well known. Coolmans and Wellington, which is the capital of New Zealand, was known, well known for Commonwealth champions. You know, Commonwealth uh, boxing champions, uh, wrestling champions, and all that sort of stuff. And um, in, uh, in the amateur style. And uh, I started going there with him and that. And, and I'd gone to one match. I went to one match when he started. I went to one match and saw him wrestle. And the next time I went, and that one of the guys didn't turn up, and that and threw me a tank top and a pair of boots and a pair of jeans on, and I was in the ring. I don't remember the match. <laughs> I, I, I went blank, but I went in. You know, the arenas were full. There were small arenas, 1500s, you know, arena and that, and, and one of the cities. It wasn't in Wellington. It was at a place called Palmerston North. And um, that was my first match. Wow, how'd you hook up? How'd you hook up with Butch? Were you guys friends, or did you meet? Uh, yeah, we were friends. He was training. He was training in the YMCA at a sixty-six. He won Mister Chest. It wasn't like he didn't have the look like he had when he was with Vince. He had a before he had a big chest. You could sit a beer glass on it. You know when he when he posed, you know, posed with his chest. That's how thick and big it was. And he had big arms. The old school body like. You know, back in the seventies, the wrestlers then very thick and that not cut up like today. Right. Yeah, well, and uh, he he was with one of the guys that come from our company, sort of split. You know, the one that I was with, which I started in '62, and a split. And he had Butch. And he he started training Butch, and Butch worked one show with him. Then he realized we. Uh, and then we spoke to him, and then he realized he'd come over to us. And that was it. In '66, um, we first started um, teaming up. Not, not full time, just teaming up now and again. And, um, and then by by '68, we were full time tag team. Then we, we started going to Australia and Singapore in '69, '70, and of course at '72 we made the big decision. Well, um, Ramona hooked us up with um, friends of his. The promoter New Zealand hooked us up with the um, Bashans, and it was Morris and Butcher that brought us over to Canada in 1972 for a company called um, a company called Grand Prix out of Montreal. And that the funny part is, in '68, Andre Campbell, well, Gene Free, comes to New Zealand. He was six, he was seven foot two, three fifty pounds. He looked skinny at that height, and with a big afro. And put should we work with them all over the country? And then, and we'd been working with Jim Bellino, the notorious promoter that opened up Australia in 65. Everybody is, who knows about uh, the backside of wrestling going back in years. Hello? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, the phone. Sorry. Everybody knows the wrestling. Jim Barnett was the, the one. Um, WCW, that was his company originally, and he had WC, he opened up WCW in New Zealand, uh, in Australia, in 1965. And all the Americans were coming from Birmingham for an hour and a half, and um, he started running Australia, and then 
and Butch and me were going over working for him. And that anyhow, uh, you know, we met Killer Kowalski, uh, the Spurious Arion, uh, a lot of a lot of American wrestlers. A lot of them, most of them are dead now. So lots of people that have worked for Jim Barnett in Australia, and it was called WCW World Championship Wrestling back in the 60s, ironically enough. Um, a lot of people that worked that territory said it was one of the best territories ever. Did you enjoy yourself as much as I've heard stories of other people? Yes, yeah. It was first class. <clears throat> first class territory, mate. New Zealand is, <clears throat> pardon me, New Zealand would just go over there for two weeks to do jobs for the Americans. Because it was American, American TV with American announcer, and um, every everything was Americanized. So you guys, so so why was what was first class about it? Uh, just the way the hotels, the the travel. Yeah, no, no best hotels, best travel. Jim Jim Barnett didn't, didn't spare. You know, he wasn't a petty pincher. He made sure that the boys traveled first class, and they were seen on other shows. It was just the first class. You know, you didn't drive anywhere. You drove maybe one town everywhere you flew. You know, Australia's land mass is the same as North America. From from Sydney to Perth is six hours. You know, Sydney, Melbourne, uh, and they're all close down on the uh, down on the southeast corner. You know, the country's so big. And there yeah, we were just treated good, treated good, and and of course. He had the best, and the angles there. Mark Lou was the booker, King Curtis. There was Abdullah. There was a heavy. The Von Erichs were there. Uh, Fuji and Tanaka. He just had he had a great baby faces, and then good-looking baby faces. Rick Martel, he was just a kid. Don Morocco and Mark Lewin, and then he had the heels were heavy. They weren't the wrestling heels. We were used to we were used to British style wrestling. When I went to Australia, first time I hadn't kicked, I hadn't kicked anybody or thrown a punch because it was a, um, the piece would stop it in New Zealand. We were doing a, a European style; it was, it was completely different. Yeah, totally different style of wrestling. Um, uh, you know, I'm friends with uh, uh, Fit Finley and, and Dave Taylor and people like uh, Steve Regal, people like that who, who, and so I'm familiar with the European style of wrestling. I'm actually a big fan of the European style of wrestling, but it is, like you said, totally different from... Chain uh, wrestling, mate. Yeah. The kids yeah. today don't even know what chain wrestling is. No, no, I not did, at all. I learned, you know, the bushwhacker gimmick was a ha-ha gimmick that I had wrestled. I had Throwing flying head scissors, drop kicks. Back in the day, it was completely different. We never ran to the ropes. You know, it was chain wrestling and all that sort of stuff. Maybe you took a turnbuckle. There was no running to the ropes and ducking a clothesline or any, any of that stuff. So you came to uh, for the Vashans in the 60s, uh, mid-60s, I believe. No, 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 no. We went to Australia for Vince for... Um, well, Jim Barnett, mid-60s, came to North America in 72. 72. And the, and the main baby face was Andre, and the main heel was Walter Kowalski. So we, we'd known the both in the, in the 60s. So they took care of us when we got there. Was he called Andre the Giant at that point, or was he still called Giant G, uh, Gene Farrar? Gene Farrar. Gene Farrar. So, yeah. um, so uh, at some point... 
Well, first of all, my first question is, when you came over to Canada, did you ever in a million years think that, uh, you know, 30, 40 years later, you'd still be here with the career that you had? Or did you think it was just a one-off, we're going to go check it out and then come home? No, we saw, you know, when I was started, we never had television. We didn't get television to 67, 68. So, you know, we used to get wrestling magazines, and they all came from, you know, George George Napolitano, who's a good friend of mine, his books, he was young then, he got magazines and that. And, uh, you know, all that stuff. And so when I came over, and then we knew if we wanted to be in the business, it's just like if you want to be a star in movies, you go to Hollywood. Right. If you want to be a wrestling star, you come to the States. Right. So at some point, uh, you guys went from uh, the chain wrestling to the sheep herder gimmick, uh, or the Kiwis, well, I think. The Kiwis, yes. The, ki- the Kiwis. We were the first known as the Kiwis, but no one knew that a, a Kiwi was a New Zealander. You know what I mean? Sure. We were called, the, we went, the first two years we went for Grand Prix. And, and actually we were, we, after a couple of months, we, they were running three towns a night. We were main event in the third town, working to get big names. You know what I mean? Within a month, we had a, it was, we, we come over as Sweet William and the Brute, but they had already had the Brute in Canada, and the, uh, the Brute, and um, so he went to, to Crazy in the Carter, and I led him around on a chain. It was Sweet William and Crazy in the Carter. It was the Beauty and the Beast gimmick. He was a short hair, I had long blonde hair, and were all wild tag teams. I'd like to see pictures of that. Do you have any of those pictures on a website anywhere? Yeah, yeah, I've got that. Uh, yeah, yes, I have. I've got one. Some of them. So, um, so, uh, at what point was the sheep herder gimmick uh, uh, invented or, or created? And, and- no, after that, after that, they said to us at Grand Prix, you know, it was owned by the Vachons and Edward Capontier. Right. And um, at the time, they had the. They drew the biggest crowd in North America in Gary Park. Right. We reduced 29,000, something or other. After they said, after two years, they said, you know, we'll have to start beating you or, you know, a book here is too hard, territory. So, uh, and we didn't ever hear it's too hard. So that was our next port of call, Calgary. And that was a, <laughs> that was a wake up, a wake up to, to, um, pranks, ribs, and all that stuff. The Hart family. You know, Brett was only 10 and 11, but Smith, who's dead now, and the other one, the older ones, they were a master of all the book. You, heard, man, you must have heard a lot of stories about Stu Hart's territory and the dungeon. Yeah, did you, did he take you down there and uh, stretch you? Or? No, no, no. He, he, he took care of us. We used to go to his place for dinner on Sunday before we went to the town on Sunday night. So I've been down the dungeon and watched them stretch people. <laughs> you know, he would put, he would he wouldn't fight for the hold. He would get them to get on their hands and knees. He would put the hold on and then tell them to fight out of it. But he was so thick in the hips and thighs that he would put that hold on, and neither their their veins and their eyes would pop or they'd shit themselves. <laughs> oh, jeez! Red tape. Red tape a lot. Brett used to let, in WWE used to let the boys hear of his dad. The kid screaming. Stu, Stu, stop, stop. Brett had taped a lot of times. 
Oh my God! Yeah, I've heard I've heard a lot of legendary stories about the the dungeon, and uh, so you just went and over the ribs. and you just went and over the ribs. So tell tell me yeah. tell me a good a good uh, a heart rib story. Okay, then two midgets, world class, Sky Lolo and Little Beaver. These were the midgets that were circus performers. Could walk along the top rope and do all that stuff. You heard of them? Yeah, 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 sure. Yeah, notorious. Okay, they're in a tag match with two of Moolah's girls. Every summer, Stu bringing the Moo, um, the girls and the midgets. School holidays, of course. And uh, it's a mixed tag match. You know, Sky Lolo's the heel, and uh, and Little Beaver, the one was the baby face. They did that spot where they run between. You know, the heel chases the, the baby face, slaps the heel, or does something to him. And the heel chases him around the ring, and he goes between the girl's leg. Right, right. right. And then the girl, and the heel stops in that when he comes to the girl, blah, 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 blah. Right. This time, the girl ran, you know, this, of course, Smith has set this up. It was a Sunday show, and Smith ran the Sunday shows. You, you, heard, of what, you heard about Smith, what he used to do, really. Uh, he, was, he never worked a day in his life. God bless him. <laughs> Anyhow, um, he just conned people. He called a lot of the rest of somebody too. And the other spot was when when little beaver comes to the girl. He uh, those days the girls were swimming the old swimming trunks, the whole piece, one piece. Right, one and piece. I, think, I don't know. Some, someone may or one of the girls. I can't remember. It was one of Mula's top girls in those days. Um, and she had a beige suit on, one piece of that. So instead of beaver stopping. Beaver ran between her legs and kicked her right under the crutch there. <laughs> and that, and the blood started coming. Oh. And of course, she didn't realize that all the people started looking and laughing. And that, because it looked like she's having the period in, in the middle of the match. This is just one of their milder ribs. That's a mild rib? <laughs> just some other, the other hard ribs. I told you, they were, so you two guys that come to the territory and they thought they knew it all. Some of them were handcuffed to a fence post in, in the middle of nowhere with, um, with, uh, to the fence post and left there. Oh, my God. Uh, in the snow, in the snow. They, they, did, they did ribs. They did ribs over the, you know, the Mabel rib. You ever heard of the Mabel rib? No, no. So, no, well, if I get into that, that's another heavy one. They set someone up with a girl and that in the house. And she takes them to the, they go to a private party and that, and they set someone up when you wrestle the territory with a girl and that, you know, this guy's only been in the territory a week, but he thinks he knows it all. And of course, half story had Red Valentine, Johnny, Johnny Valiant, uh, Johnny um, Valentine, and had all those guys from the 50s through there. So you know they had everybody. And he would come on to him, take him back to a room, and that, and get him, and she'd tease him and get him stripped down. Then they have a guy come in claiming to be the husband with a gun in his hand and a blank in the gun and fucking fire a shot. The guy would scream even in the new needle, shrink, hit the window, get out, and blah, 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 stuff like that in the middle of winter. 
Oh jeez, that's yeah, that yeah, that's some heavy stuff. I've been I've been you know I've been around a lot of ribs and I've been ribbed for sure. But uh, uh, I'd say like you know getting my my briefcase chained every night to a different place in the dressing yeah. room is 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 pretty uh, liberal c- compared to uh, gigging a woman's crotch and uh, and 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 setting up uh, somebody thinking that they're uh, they're about to get killed. So, but that's that's yeah. hey, that's why we got you on because I know I've been around you and I've driven down the roads with you a little bit. And I know you got great stories, and uh, and and you know, go back to the to the days of where where anything pretty much went. Well, today I'm not being nasty, but those ribs are so heavy. I don't think they could take them today. Any of those ribs, you know? No, 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 no. There'd be no. there'd be charges pressed, and it'd be you know, no, it's a totally different world. And you know, for- Hollywood blondes, the Hollywood blondes, Jerry Brown and Buddy Buddy Roberts. They were some of the worst livers too. Really heavy, you know. This is a seventy-two. God bless them. God bless, um, buddy. Yeah, he was a great worker. But you know, none of these guys are dead now. Anyhow, that's too harsh territory. That's we we went home. We got the call from the New Zealand promoter in seventy-five to say they got television for wrestling, and he was. They were going to do the first um, series, you know, first season. Right. So he asked us to come home. They brought us home and they kept us heels. Can you believe that? After all the write-ups we had in the paper there. Well, Mark Lewin was the book, He was the baby face. So, you know, he's looking after himself. And Mark's a good friend of mine. But I see, I became booker later on. And I see how you look after yourself. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So they made you yeah. heel. They made you heels, even though you were big stars returning from uh, from America. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, at, it? go Sorry. ahead. No, no, no. So, at what point uh, were the sheep herders? Did the sheep herders gimmick uh, come about, and where did it start? Well, we came. We came back we, for three years. I did Japan, Australia, uh, Australia, Japan. And I think the butcher seventy nine. Let's get back. Let's go back. You know, to the so we came into Hawaii and that, and um, worked in Hawaii for three months, and then um, and then uh, we we came in for Don Owens. We were in Japan, and we came back to Don Owens, and we were the Kiwis, New Zealand Kiwis, and and they said we well, were thinking of thinking the new name. Hence the sheep herders came out because there's a Three million people, a hundred million sheep in New Zealand. So we become the sheep saggers. Oh, sorry, the sheep herders. So uh, I'm assuming that at that point you're not doing uh, the European style anymore. It's but you turn into. No, more- we haven't been doing the We haven't been doing the European style since since '69. Ah, I got you. It changed. You know, New Zealand changed with with um, with somebody uh, sending Americans to New Zealand. And uh, we changed. Hence, we were now, there was no chain anymore. It was just um, Dick Carter and, and Sweet and Sweet William. Uh, Luke Williams. Sweet, Luke Williams. Instead of Sweet William. It was Luke Williams. And um, we came to Seabird. And at the time when we come in there, listen to the names of the guys in there. Buddy Rose. Roddy Piper. Um, uh, shit. Uh... Was Snooker um, there? Was Snooker there? Snooker was just leaving then. Uh, Jesse Ventura, Ron Bass, 
um, Adrian Adonis, Tim Brooks. This was the crew. You know, the crew in there. Wow. All of, most of them went to WWF. You know, our next stop was, after that, Jimmy left for um, Oregon. We stayed there and worked with the Roddy Piper and Rick Martell. I forgot Rick Martell. Because I got Rick Martell to come in because he was with me in New Zealand and Australia and places. So I called him up because he was a baby face for Roddy. Roddy got us into Don Owens because I met him in Hawaii. And then and then we started doing a program studying with Roddy. And then we got him a baby face, Rick Martell. And we ran for a year and a quarter against uh, Buddy, uh, against uh, Roddy and Ricky. That brings someone into a six-man and Buddy Rose was in our army. He was uh, he was in our army. We had an army. We all wore camouflage. And Buddy Rose, very smart man. Those days he was 250. And he thought, well, you know, he thought, well, I get longer jeopardy out of this. He carried our flag for us, which put more heat on him. Being American, you know, to uh, say, downsizing America and, and joining the New Zealanders. So that gave him, he was in that territory for 10 years. He was a very smart man, doing different angles to keep there that long in one territory. Yeah, that, yeah, we worked there for a year and a half, mate. Yeah, and 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 it wasn't a very big territory. It was like three or four or five towns, a couple of. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but it was a few weekly towns and then some spot shows. Uh, three weekly towns, three uh, four weeks. Uh, every week, it was um, Salem. Uh, another town, uh, 40 miles, 50 miles, about 100 miles from Salem, uh, Eugene, uh, and Portland. And um, every second week it was Seattle. Every second week was Vancouver on a Monday. Uh, Monday, Tacoma, and rest of spot shows. We worked seven days a week, sometimes twice on a Sunday. So we ran with them, and they would bring in... They would bring, you know, as I said, Jesse Ventura and Andre as the six bands, and then we'd bring, have Buddy, and then we'd go back to the tag, then go to singles, then back to a tag. And that's how it went for, for a year and a half. And then Timmy, Timmy had already left, and Snook had already left and gone to, to NWA in Carolinas. We were the next to go to the Carolinas. And then three months or two months after us, Piper come down to the Carolinas. So now we're all we're all in the Carolinas together. So I have a question for you. I've been really excited to ask you since I've uh, I've started to, uh, knew that you're going to be on the podcast in 1990. Uh, in the 1990s, ECW uh, was created, and they made such a big deal out of hardcore wrestling. It was something new and exciting. And you guys have been doing hardcore wrestling, the same kind of hardcore wrestling, for ten years in the different territories. And I'm just wondering uh, what you kind of thought of the fact that that you guys had been doing what the new sexy kind of style was for 10 years Podcast. and no, 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 uh, nobody gave you any credit for it. No. No, we were hardcore before the hardcore became a name brand. That's my point. Now, they, now the magazines write up that we were the bloodiest hardcore team of the 70s and uh, late 70s and early 80s. We were doing fire matches, barbed wire cage matches. All, you know, we had thought of a lot of different New Zealand boot camp matches. I first became a booker. My first booking job was for um, Tully Blanchard's father, Joe Blanchard. And, of course, we started thinking of all these 
Thanksgiving matches so we could have longevity with tag teams. Right. Longevity with tag teams. And that so came up with a lot of different gimmicks and that. And of course, I worked down in Puerto Rico a lot and I booked for Carlos in one of the biggest shows ever that he had. He threw 40,000 people in 83 with Abdullah and Carlos against and for Brody, uh, Hanson and Brody. Right. And that, that, we did a hell of an angle there. That was one of my, an angle that we worked out. And that, is, um, that was 25 in a ballpark, a base, a vertical mini baseball park. And, um, and then we had two close circuit arenas hooked up. I, I recall that that was a, that was a, probably the highlight of their territory. Correct me if I'm wrong. The, the highest point yeah. it ever got. Um, yeah. So my point on all the hardcore, the ECW stuff was you guys had to be looking at yourselves when you're hearing about this, like what, what the hell is going on? We've been doing this for 10 years and nobody, nobody ever called it out. Yeah. Nobody's noticed that, but you know, we just, we just, we, we just accepted it, mate. And then Vince asked us, you know, when, they, when we got called up from NWA, from Crockers, to go into um, the WWF, and he said to us, he said, well, would you think of becoming um, baby faces, the good guys? And Butch said, if you can make these mugs uh, baby faces, go ahead. And, of course, I piped up being old school, says, bring us in the heels and turn us. Now, you don't tell Caesar what to do. You know what I mean? He turned around to Butch, he says, well, look at my top baby face. Look at the mugs on... Hogan, Jake the Snake, Axel Jim Duggan. And when yeah. you look at their mugs, then you realize, you know, you can make anyone a baby face. So I want to go, I want to talk about that uh, in, in, in a little bit. And um, I know your time is valuable. Uh, at some point, Butch went home and, and you hooked up with Lord Jonathan Boyd. How, how, yeah. how did that happen? And did that change the dynamic of the team at all? Or you just kept going like uh, like you were with Butch? No, it kept going. That was in 19... 19- 
even the boys didn't like him in the dressing room. Oh, so bless him, he's dead now. Yeah. And that, and when I went to tag out all the time to bring him in, even though I was beating up someone, they'd hold on to me to not let me out. Because <laughs> <laughs> they knew when he came in, they told me he was going to beat them, beat them to death. You know what I mean? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> That's good stuff. Anyhow, I had him. I had him. And of course, he was a drinker. Old school, you know, every day, right. a thousand beer and a bottle of vodka. The old old school westers from the 70s. You know what I mean? And yeah, then, absolutely. And, um, and, and then um, he had something and he was getting, a, what he had, a, he had some surgery, minor surgery. And then I got on with the pain pills. Now he was putting drink on the pain pills. Uh, and then he was getting nasty. You know, at two, if you drink, take pain pills in your dream, you get a good feeling. But after a show in Austin one night, we worked the show in our afternoon show. We got back to San Antonio at 6 o'clock. He went to pick up a girl. And from where we lived, he went around the corner. He didn't turn the corner, hit a lamppost, broke his fucking hip, his back. He was in a body cast from just under his ribs to over his first knee um, for six months. Oh, my goodness, Chris. So, um, so I was into singles at the time, and then we just shot an angle, was just shooting an angle with Joe Blanchard to go against Tully, and, um, and, um, he's dead now. Do you know her name? What a worker, too. And Tully was a good worker, as you know. Yes. Do you know, was a very good worker. Anyhow, so, um, that accident happened, and, um, still shot the angle. Where I beat up Tully, his dad, his dad was, only one hip was gone, it was a cripple. So I laid him out in television and ambulance come, and then I was jumping off the corner, and I had a load of blood at the time, and blah, 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 Tully came in, ran with Tully, and then he was, after about a month, you know, we, we ran into um, hardcore matches straight away, or giving matches, no normal matches, because right. it was, I used to have so I had to get, I called Butcher, and he came back and joined me in 83, and that was it. He was I, away for an, about a year and a half. So he was probably the most popular guy in the dressing room if everybody hated to wrestle with John, Jonathan Boyd, huh? Once yeah, he came yeah. <laughs> yeah, so anyhow, so that was it. And then after after um, finishing in Texas, that, you know, you make, make mistakes in life. Yeah, and I wasn't, I was... In the 70s, in the 80s, now it's 83, 84, you know, 40, 50, 30, around 34, 35. Instead of turning baby face, because we were a hot team there. Right. You know, and we had Spanish and English networks. We were on 61. That was a Spanish. We went right up to New York. And then, because we were, we were going up into um, Ohio. Then we're going up to the New England area, above Boston. The tanks were going up there, so every month or every second month would go away for a week because the TV would be up there. You know, instead of turning babyface, I took a job for Carlos Colon. I'd already worked in, in um, Puerto Rico in the 70s with Carlos, me and Butch, and that uh, that's when Butch got the call to go home when we were there. So um, I, um, the late 70s or something, guys, it was something around that. Anyhow, um, I went back there as a booker for Carlos, and that, his that big angle was what's the name in early eighties, and and um, and I was there. Now I was there till eighty six for Carlos to eighty six, 
and then uh, you know with Brody, Brody's wife was a Kiwi, so the Bruiser used to travel with us all the time. He was a good friend of mine. God bless him. I, mean, I made a lot of money in Texas. Was you know when I was a booker for Joe was with uh, with Brody and O'Donnell and Butch and me with Manny Fernandez and and Captain Redneck Dick Murdoch. I had a, a tag team was was direct. A real redneck, Dick Murdoch, and a right. Mexican, which fitted right into Texas. You know, and um, yes, and then, so when I went to Puerto Rico, not again, I came back to NWA, and um, then, then I got the calls. You guys stopped in Florida for a little bit, right towards the end of Championship Wrestling from Florida. Did you guys know it was towards the end? You figured- no, 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 no. They were sent. That was we were sent from Charlotte. Oh, okay. So you were sent from Charlotte, and and yeah. cor- correct me if I'm wrong, but Johnny Ace, aka John Laurinaitis, was your flag boy at the time, correct? Yes, <laughs> yes. They, the, Dusty was the booker in Charlotte because I worked walked out on Charlotte in, in '81 to go to Puerto or '80 to go to Puerto Rico uh, the first time. You know, I think it was '80, and that you know you, I gave him two months' notice. You never, I didn't realize they gave you your notice. You never gave Jim, Jim Crockett the notice. So Dusty kept Dusty came in and worked for me in Puerto Rico and for Joe Blanchard. You know, him and Blanchard came in and worked for me. And he says, I want you back in Charlotte. He was the booker. But, but then he, then I'd call him up and that, and um, he said, uh, Crockett don't, Jim Crockett don't want you. Oh, jeez. But in the end, in the end, and that, when I finished in, um, when I finished in, and Puerto Rico is the second. No, after Puerto Rico, I went in for Bill Watts. That's right. And so, then he pulled out. We were the champions. We were the champions for Bill Watts because uh, we took the titles off Ted and Doc. And then, and then Crockett pulled out. Watts got caught with that scandal with Black Journey. And Crockett pulled out Watts. And, and, Watts had, and the Crockett had to take us back as the champions. And so we got back in with Crockett. Ah, that is correct. They they bought they bought he he bought the territory and ended up with the tag team he he wasn't happy with. But it all worked out. It, it all worked out great. Hey, looking back, Luke, what's your favorite territory that you ever worked? Well, I gotta say, in the smaller territory, I'll tell you, the smaller territory, the Jerry Jarrett, he took care of us. We had a run with the fabulous ones. They just got made, and when we first went there. They had um, the, the, the uh, what's his name Fargo in their corner, right. Jackie in the corner, and that and the run, and we were the first ones. They were just knocking off teams, and that short and that and, and Jerry Jerry brought us in, and we knocked off teams for four weeks, you know, in three minutes, and we were the fabulous ones. We had a run, unreal run, sellouts from day one more or less with them right through till we finished the angle. We ran it for about. Every night for four months, five months. Yeah, you actually took that angle on the road and went to different territories. It went kind of went yes, vi- we, before the, before there was something called being going viral. It sort of went viral through the wrestling magazines and stuff like that. What was it about the fabulous ones that that you had such good chemistry with? Well, they were fighters. Yeah, they were fighters. Steve Steve I'd known since the seventies. Right. You know what I mean? And uh, I worked. I worked for. Um, in the 70s, just for a, sh- a short time, I came in and worked for, um, uh, what's his name? The whole family shot themselves. 
Oh, Von Eric. No, no, shot themselves. The, the, the dad shot himself. Um, Tampa, Tampa. Oh, Graham, yeah. Eddie, Eddie Graham, Graham, Mike Graham. Yeah, yeah, Graham. Yeah, I worked for Eddie, and I went, you know, and I got to know the son, Michael, very well. And Michael and um, uh, and Steve were partners then. Right. They came in the first time. And, then, and of course, I worked with Briscoes in Puerto Rico a lot, too. So, um, and, you know, I got to know that. And so, I, so I knew that it was just, we had magic with them. It was blood and guts. They didn't mind cutting. And that, so it was blood and guts all night. We did gimmick matches after gimmick matches with them. We just thought of another gimmick after another gimmick. Crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, you, a, go ahead. Sorry. Sorry. No, if it's some of the gimmick matches that you've never heard of, because we just, we got them already done. Down in, um, in Tennessee, and I took them. Then I took them to tennis. That was in the uh, about eighty two, uh, eighty two or eighty one. And I took them to take a, into uh, into Joe Blanche's territory, the Southwest. And I took them to Puerto Rico, and then I worked with them again in Florida. So we right. worked with those three, those everywhere. What were some of the gimmick matches that you guys created up in Memphis that you were able to take all over the place? Oh, well, you know, of course, the flag, burn the flag. The flag would be on the pole. The American flag would be on one pole, and the New Zealand flag would be on the other pole. You know, the first one to get the opposition flag down and burn it. You did some heavy shit. Even in Don Owens, the TV was in Don Owens' territory, Northwest. We did a burial with Piper and... Um, and Patel, we uh, buried them under the US, uh, U.S. flag. We knocked one out and put it and handcuffed the other one to the corner and put the flag over the body. The TV was running five minutes. It was more or less live, running five minutes late, you know, so they could right. beat anything. Five minutes. And we did that heavier burial, that burial without Don, though, and Don was on holiday, and his TV got put off to 11 o'clock at night till 12.30. When he came back, he was hot. Fuck, you lost the TV for me. And that, then he found out people were, the front row and the second row, the third row were more in demand and pre booking. They were always sold out because people could go home after the show and watch themselves on TV. Oh, geez. So. You know, because the, the TV show didn't start till um, 11.30 and the show was finished at 10.30. So they right. get home and they'd watch the 11 o'clock show. So uh, you you hit on this, uh, but after decade over a decade of being the sheep herders with a totally brawling style, hardcore before hardcore was cool, as you said, uh, Vince decided to totally change the gimmick. And you you, you told us earlier what what uh, your and Butch response was. Uh, did you think it? Did you think that it would work, or did you just say, "Well, you know, we're just going to give it a try and see what happens"? Well, what he, what he said to me said to us, funny part is when Butch says you make this baby face, Butch got up on his desk and his nose was a foot away from Vince's nose. <laughs> That's what he said to him. I wish I had a camera then. If yeah. you could make this face a baby face, that was so funny when he climbed up on the desk. Anyhow, he said I want you to be between the moon dogs, right. who had been on USA Network for five years, and the sheep herders, who had been on and off um, Ted Turner's network for 10 years, from 79 to uh, to 87, we've been on 
computers last week, you know, off and on, right. off and on. So um, he said, you want to, when we got back, you know, we got home, and that two days later, there's a contract in the mail, and Vince says, fuck, they sent the contracts to the wrong people. It's got the bloody bushwhackers here. And I said, hey, he's changed our name to Otis. <laughs> you realize that then? He changed his name to Ola for merchandise deals, and that is then puts it to me. The um, the Moon Dogs have been on television for five years on USA, and then we've been on Turner Network. Turner Network wasn't strong in the North at the time. It didn't get strong until about 88, 89. You know, in the, with, with, with uh, NWA would come up into um, the... Uh, Long Island, the NASA Coliseum, he would come up to Philly and Baltimore. It right. wasn't strong up north. And you know, Butch says to me, let's create something different. When we were thrown out the ring and we're healing, we always swung our arms and went, if you go back to uh, NWA taping on, on Turner Network, you know, out of the studios, we'd swing our arms up and roar at the people. You know what I mean? Right. So Butch says, let's swing our arms and that. And I said, oh, mate, my shoulders are fucked. I can't pay. I can't swing my arms over there. And he turned around with that face of his. He says, "Do you want to make money?" <laughs> and then we started. And then we started marching to the ring. All of a sudden, we started. And then we marching to the ring, swinging our arms. Then we started high stepping. Vince never told us. He just gave us the gave us the name. We put the gimmick together. A lot really? of people think. A lot of people think that he gave us the gimmick. No. Wow. No, he didn't. We, put, we came up with a gimmick. Hey, we were professionals, mate. We knew the business was a work, and we knew that we had to create something that would catch people's eyes. And hence, the licking come in. No one grabbed a head and licked their head. Yeah, we actually <laughs> grabbed a head and licked the back of our hand. You know what I mean? Ah, that's the trick. Yeah, and that, that's the, you know, we're still talking, you know, the um, Royal Rumble. They still run our clip. Me, Joe, throwing a passing to the ring, earthquake grabbing me, putting me out, and me marching back, just like an ever-ready battery. <laughs> Ever stops running. You know, they still play that. And, we, you know, people remember the Jesse Venturi used to say, here comes a marching idiot. <laughs> I love yeah. that. I love that Royal Rumble story because uh, was Butch legitimately hot about it, or is he? Was oh, that yeah, just... he, yeah, he was in <laughs> earlier before me. He was in for twenty five minutes, thirty thirty minutes. We said he said that too at the Hall of Fame. You know when we did our Hall of Fame speech, we we had we cut it short because it was getting getting boring. Yeah, heard about that. He, he was hot. Everyone went along. So we came in short with punchline stories. You know what I mean? So he, he got... actually tell the whole story. He got the same amount of... He got the same payoff as you did. He was in there for 25 minutes and you were in there for four seconds. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah well, I was in there by the time I marched out about, I guess <laughs> I did 40 seconds. <laughs> oh, did you rib him about it? Did you used to rib him when you guys were riding down the road and remind him just I to... I the payoff. I used to look at him and give him the magoo. <laughs> you know. That's tremendous. Oh, no, we would we, we were injured, mate. And we'd still be we, we were injured really bad. We, we worked. The other guy would be on the corner, and we'd only tag him in to just do a bit of heavy stuff with the boot or uh, a few punches. And the other guy used to do all the work. We took care of each other. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, absolutely. So we, you know, you know, we, and then we, yeah. And the funny part is, a lot of tag teams they don't realize it's like a waltz. You've got to make the pay more position to look good. Otherwise, you haven't got a comeback. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, especially with your with your baby faces, you've got to make heels look good and get let them get heat on you. Otherwise, when you come back, you've got nothing to come back with. You know what I mean? Well, that whole thing is a lost art at this point, in my opinion. That I don't think anybody, yes. I don't think anybody will ever get back. They, they just, it's, it's, it's a lost art. You know, if you go back and you look at some of the tapes of, uh, you know, guys like Ricky Steamboat selling and and making and and trying so many times to make that quote unquote hot tag and getting at the last right. minute, you know, at the last minute when he's about to make the tag, the fans are going crazy. You know, one, of, you know, one of you guys uh, that's outside the ring comes in, push, pulls him back, you know, and. And, yeah. and 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 sorry. No, no, no. It was a, it was a science, and and it was brilliant. Oh, nice. It was it was art, and it, when it was done right, it was brilliant. It's just not done right anymore. What do, what do you think? You what do you what? think happened? I don't know, but one of the teams that really got heat when we, we came back to the NWA when Dusty was a booker was us putting us with um, the Rock and Roll Express. Right. Shit. We would get the people fucking butcher me. Could even with Roddy Pipe and Rick Martell, we could get the people to stand up, and stand up, and then sit down. You know, we could eat and then let the baby, let the baby face just come around a bit. The people would stand up and start screaming, and we cut them off, and then and then make the people sit down and get mad. It was just an art, and we were good at that. You're very good at. Oh, no, no, I'm not bragging. No, that, that's for the whole art of the game. And then when we, and then when we let them come unglued at the end, and the story is too, never go down a hill. A hill doesn't sell. He registers, takes the bump down, cover kicks out, he's back up and swinging, but the baby face is stuck and the pop of them. If a baby, if a hill starts selling in a comeback, the the comeback goes to the south. It goes to the ground. We 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 got up and registered and kept moving. You know what I mean. Yeah. Even when we got beaten, we'd get up and start swinging again. So the people thought we were crazy. You know yeah. that was that's how we kept ourselves alive. Yeah, I I hate to sound like one of these you know old uh, you know uh, you know grizzled uh, uh, people who shit on the business the way it is because obviously a lot of people make a lot of money right now in the wrestling business, but it's just that was a lost art that uh, you should be teaching Luke. You should be teaching seminars on how to on how to put together tag team matches. I do, I oh. do, mate. I do seminars around the country. And I go out and watch the matches. These kids are brainwashed from television, mate. You can't change them. I do two-hour seminars, and then I go out and watch them. They think it's just like they, they're in the heat. The heels want to be baby faces. They want to do drop kicks and look fucking like baby faces too. They don't know that cheating is where you get heat. It's very hard to get these kids of today um, get that story across, you know, the psychology across. Very yeah. hard. No, I, I, I'm with you a thousand percent. And, and like I said, for those people who listen to this podcast who may not be familiar, who may be newer wrestling fans and may not be familiar with, uh, the, you know, seventies and eighties style of tag team wrestling where the baby faces sold and sold and got cut off and got cut off, finally made that hot tag and the place would go crazy. The place would erupt. It was magic. And, and you just don't see that anymore. And that's just, I'm not saying that to bitch. I'm saying that because it's a shame because it was really, like you said, a work of art. And you guys, you could know, you don't, you 
can brag all you want. You guys are were, were two of the best at uh, at making it happen, and uh, that's why I wanted John to tell the stories about uh, your now career. I'm going to screw. I'm going to screw the top on the jar here, mate. People buy tickets today to watch the cavalcade of superstars do death-defying moves. Right. Yesterday, right. that yesterday, which I mean, eighties and seventies. They bought tickets to see the baby face beat the bad guy because the bad guy got a lot of heat. Now go back to go back to Muhammad Ali. He talked that shit. He pissed the people off. He bragged. People bought tickets. Those pay per views those days and those big ballparks. You know, people don't realize, but in Manila, the children of Manila and up in Penang and in the southeast, they just ballparked in eighty thousand. Muhammad Ali drew. Because people wanted to see him, they fly from all over the world to see him get knocked out. You are, you, you know, the gates were the gates were cash wise weren't the figure of today, of course not. But the crowds were there to see the good guy beat the bad guy. You are a thousand percent right, my friend. And you know, you're right. Now it's a part of the show. You got the video wall, you got the pyro, you got the music that they're used to seeing on, on TV. So, you know, everybody comes out to their song and people sing along and, and, and that's fine. That's all great. It's just not what it used to be. And what it used to be was, like you said, uh, you know, people really coming out with emotions. Now you're just going to see a show. And again, that's fine. You know, it's two different things. But for me growing up as a fan in the seventies and eighties, I, I'd, I'll take the the, the emotional uh, investment over the quote unquote show. Well, then the show's fun. Uh, don't get me wrong. You know, they with technology and everything they've been able to do, and like I said, the music and the pyro and all that. But uh, but yeah, the, it, it's a totally different business. You're 100 percent right. The death defying moves. You know, yeah. I've adopted the new style too, mate. You know, I still do the selling and that, but you know, my entrance is a big thing. The bushwhack entrance coming through the whole arm swinging, knees up in the air, and going around the ring and smacking hands and doing the woe in the air. <laughs> you know, that's our entrance, and, and, and the people buy it. Yeah, they want to see us come through those curtains on fire, not walk through the curtains. We're baby faces. We've got to show them that we've got fire. You could sort of make the argument, uh, Luke, that you guys were right at part, part of the whole changing of the scenery here because you went from guys who were, uh, you know, brawling, cutting yourselves open, doing all these crazy matches, uh, to try to draw money to guys who were getting over because the music was fun and you were licking people and doing your, 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 uh, your, your walk. And, and so it's sort of ironic that you, so you guys, uh, sort of changed along with the, the, the business and, uh, yeah, and, and just in the Hall of Fame thing, you know, our Hall of Fame video, they say that we brought a new era to WWF, a new energy to WWF. How much? In our Hall of Fame thing. You know, I really miss me and Gene a lot. How much fun was it to do those uh, those vignettes uh, with you and Gene? And how much of that was uh, scripted? And if I had to guess, I'd say about a hundred percent of it was just off the cuff without being scripted. Off the cuff. It was, hey, the idea was there. No scripts, mate. We're going to do this today, and then and then we talk. You know, and that is, and we didn't we didn't even plan anything. You just come off the bat, all those things. And me, Gene, even if you're doing a thing about coming to an area and working at jobs, if you come at dull spot, me, Gene was right there to to keep it going. He was a brilliant, the best. And of he all would time. always be known as the best, the best of all that. Time. You know what I mean? There's and no I watched, 
And you, you know, I shot too, you know, when Brian tried to do that thing out of, you know, when I talk about Brian, um, the, the Nasty Boys, when they did that show, tried to do that show in uh, Universal, uh, and that, and me, Gene, and Bobby Heaton went in the ring, shit, they talked for a quarter of an hour. It was better than matches. Yeah. Those two were firing things off each other. You know how Bobby Heaton was. They, they were brilliant. Uh, absolutely brilliant. People that never got to know them, and there's a lot of people that didn't. I was honored to be able to know both of them pretty well. And people never got to know them are really missed out uh, because they were two. Of the, they were two of the best of what they did, and uh, two of the nicest guys and, uh, and and funniest guys in the world. And they played off each other, as you know. Hey, uh, yeah, I was part of that XWF thing at Universal, and uh, that's why I brought it up. Ah, it up. you do your homework. So no, how no, I, I did not homework. I, 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 <laughs> I'm 70 and I'm in the ring taking a pension. I still remember things. There you go. God bless you. Hey, um, when you went back uh, in 2002, you went and booked for the IWA in Puerto Rico. Uh, Why did you decide to do that when you had, had, had done so well with Carlos? And was there any heat with Carlos or was it purely a business decision? Well, Carlos, I gave Carlos the first opportunity. So I did book it for Carlos. You know, that big angle with Abdullah right. and Brody. And that, and, and I've been with those kids of his since they're two years of old. Right. And the wife, I use it well. But Victor was, Victor was in that office too. He was 18 years of age then. And he, and he became a 10% owner of it. And that, and uh, when he got older, he was a referee and he became a 2% older. And Victor and me always kept him in touch. You know, because when Brody got killed, he, he walked out on that office and bought, took his 10% and left. And he went and opened wings in Japan for the Japanese person. And if you remember the Terry Funk with the ring getting blown up and all that. Yeah, all yeah. That sort of stuff. That was the Kionis' company. Correct. Correct. Yeah, and um, then, he went, then he opened up another one, IWA in Japan. Then he came back and opened up and he came back and worked for Vince. In, um, in 2000, he was a, he was the booker for the um, Mexican and the Japanese. They had that 200-pound weight class then. It wasn't called 205, and it was all those junior heavyweights, remember? Yeah. Yes, the jury, oh, a lot of them, great workers, great workers, Japanese and Mexicans. And, that, and he did that for Vince and then opened up his own company in in 201, Dutch was there then. And then in 202, um, something happened with Dutch and, and they brought me in. But Dutch, Dutch came back and that was with me for another year or so. And then he, then TNA was formed and Jeff took him to TNA. And I was the vector. I asked Carlos that he didn't want to pay Victor. Victor offered me a flat salary and a apartment in a car. And he said, you don't have to work. You just book. He had four hours of television. Well, Carlos had that too. Right. Two on Saturday and two on Sunday. He was on Wapa and Victor was on Telemundo. But Telemundo wasn't owned by NBC then. It was a separate enterprise. It was separate. You know, and that. It wasn't in the States so much. Then it was just in um, South America and, and Puerto Rican Spanish countries. And then, tele- then uh, NBC bought it out. And then we had to tighten up completely. Our television, we had to cut, cut a lot of the music back. We had to buy 
by uh, different music, sort of using other music of, of, of groups and that. And then we had added a lot of stuff. Because right. now we're on, you know, NBC was one of the main um, worldwide station networks. Right. Um, Eddie, he with Carlos now, or are you guys good? Oh, Carlos, I obviously go back there. And that, but he did. He, you know, obviously go back there in, in, in 208, 209. Victor died. 209. Yeah, I right. started to Puerto Rico from 201 to 212, but I stopped in IWA in 209, Victor died in 208, and he was a front man. He was with the senators and all the government people, dignitaries. He got, he got posters and banners put up on streets and towns, you know, the big going of the towns, the big billboards and that. And when he died, his two partners, who were minor partners, Savio Vega and Miguel Perez, they didn't have all those connections. So uh, it sort of, the company just got right off. You know what I mean? Right, right. So you guys went into the Hall of Fame. Uh, how, how, how was that uh, feeling to be to be honored by not only the fans and, and the WWF, but your peers as well? Uh, uh, what kind of, Describe that experience for me. You know when that, do you know when there was announced that we were going to the Hall of Fame? On Facebook. Knocked, knocked us to death. Who are these two idiots who, who just started off at WWS as comedians getting on the phone? They didn't know that we were the sheep herders. A lot of people didn't know. Even when we changed, they couldn't believe the people that knew couldn't change that we could go. We went through hardcore to being comedians. And of course, we went from being wrestlers to celebrities going to WWF. Of course, I had to tell them, it's the money. You know, we're businessmen. It's a different challenge we're changing because, because of the money. And going in there was a big thing. Once they heard that we wrestled with The Rock's grandfather, we wrestled with the Killer Kowalski, the trainer of, you know, the, the trainer of Triple H. Right. He trained um, the, 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 the eighth one of the woman, the eighth one of China. And they didn't know that we wrestled these people in the 60s, the giants in the 60s. We told them in the Hall of Fame, then they woke up to who we were. The world right. didn't know that unless they were really wrestling fans. No, no, you're right, and, and, and a lot of people just knew you as the Bushwhackers, and 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 while you guys were tremendously successful in that role, there's a you know a twenty twenty plus year uh, uh, history before that, and you guys did amazing things. You mentioned that you broke yeah. in with Andre, and you, you know, that Andre brought you into uh, uh, into Grand Prix, and and uh, when you first came over, everybody loves a good Andre story. You have any good Andre stories you can tell? Oh, it's a tall one. I, didn't, uh, I can tell a few uh, when I was with them in, in 72 and that, but I'm going to tell you one in WWF, and a short one. When Andre needed to ever go to the toilet, Andre was one of the lucky ones. The world champion and Andre had first class all the time. All of us had, you know, economy. Right. Unless we upgraded, and we upgraded with points. Andre, when he needed to go to the toilet, he always come to the back of the plane. Of course, they had to pull the curtains to give him a bucket. When he had to go to number two, you know, um, let it empty his bowels up, he used to walk from the front to the back and fart. And boy, his farts were so strong, he let them go up along the plane. When he came back out, you, all you'd hear was, 
Everyone had their T-shirt up over their nose or their shirt pulled up over their nose. He'd, you, all you'd hear was... There's <laughs> a short... There's a short Andre one. You know, and if he liked you, he liked you. If he didn't like you, he never liked you. Yeah. And it was in the ring where you heard about some of those pops and things. If he didn't like you, those chops were... That hand <laughs> was a monster. You know yeah. what I mean? We had that we had was hit you and that and you two stars. We had it's funny we had Jim Duggan on the podcast a couple of weeks ago and we brought up Andre and he 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 brought up the same thing about the plane going on the plane and it never dawned on me in all these years that he couldn't fit in the bathroom even in first class on an airplane and he would go over to Japan and and all over the country and that's yes. crazy I, and we and we the talked bucket, about the, yeah the bucket had to be on the plane for him. And, then, and, you know, you have to go to the back where they pull the curtains. Because up in the first class, you know, the curtains are at the back of the first class in the older planes when he went to Japan. So they, he always had to go to the back, pull the curtains across in the kitchen, and <laughs> sit in the bucket. So I'm... Um, yeah, I'm going to wrap this up because um, you've been more than generous with your time. Uh want to give you an opportunity to talk about anything that you want to promote. I know you have a Clearwater Beach Fitness uh, yeah. right on and the fans, beach. If, you, if you're coming down to Clearwater Beach, Clearwater Beach has been named number one in North America in four times in five years. We have tremendous people from all over the world coming there. We're number seven in the world in beaches. Plus, Next this weekend on Sunday, I'm in Kenosha, Wisconsin, and then go to the um, go to next month on the eighth and ninth. I'm in the New England Fan Fest, in the New England Fan Fest. So, uh, which is in, in in Long Island? Yeah, New England Fan Fest. I know Long Island. I've been yeah, yes. Yeah, so that's and the stars from all over the place going to be there. So come up and see us if you're in that region. I'd appreciate it. Yeah, I'll give you a shake your hands and you may even get a good head licking. <laughs> hey, we asked we we asked some people on Twitter if they had any questions. Ben Finley on Twitter wanted to know if you still follow rugby in New Zealand and if so, what teams do you support? Well, you know, this year, the World Cup is every four years and it's this year. In October, the Rugby World Cup. And now in the World Cup, there's teams, there's the Northern Division and there's the Southern Division. Some of hemisphere, Southern Hemisphere. It's not like NFL. Teams from all over the world are in it. And believe it or not, Argentina is strong. Last year, it was in the Final Four. And, you know, South Africa was a major player in it. And then America are getting stronger. I think they were 14th last year. And they're getting stronger every year as now, you know, colleges are playing rugby. I've seen colleges down. The funny part is most of the coaches in all these other countries are the Kiwis. Kiwis are New Zealanders. And remember, the Haka, the war dance before the All Blacks go and start the games. That's the New Zealand war dance, the Maori Haka. Right. So, one last question I'd be remiss in asking. How's Butch doing? Butch is doing good, mate. I was, last year I did a tour down there, and he was in my corner. You know, when, you know he got star infection in 202. That's when he had, he was in hospital for three months. And then after that, he decided to hang his boots up and go back to New Zealand. 
you know, they found out and there was a medicine and they, and they, they killed the, um, the staff, but it was dormant in the set. And at 2.10, he woke up in hospital after being delirious for a week. So they took his hip out and he was out without a hip till four months. He got the hip in, in 2.14, the end of 2.14, he got a hip put in because they had to wait four years to make sure when they took it out that there was no staff in the system. And he, so when he came over to the Hall of Fame, he just had to hip in for three months. That's why he, he, he was bent over because arthritis got in his back. He's on crutches and a walker for four years. But now he's getting around better. Very good, very good. You get, hey, thanks so much for being on, and thanks for the stories. Your career is is, is unbelievable, uh, and, and if people aren't familiar with the Sheep Herders, I would suggest uh, going on YouTube, uh, checking out some of the, the matches with the fabulous and ones. And, excuse sure. me, David. The match to watch is with the Fantastics, the Crockett Cup, and the Superdome. 1970, 1988 or 87, 86, 87. Crockett Cup. It was no, number one tag match of the year. Got a five star. They said it's on the best tag matches of the year. Wow. I'm going to watch that tonight and uh, I'll have a couple of drinks and a little vodka. And just like Jonathan Boyd, and I'll, I'll, I'll be sure to turn that on and check it out. Hey, Luke, okay, Luke you're, one of, you're one of the nice ones. You're one of the good ones. And uh, you deserve everything that, that you've gotten in your career. And I thank you so much for your time. And, and again, if you're going to be in Clearwater, stop by Clearwater Beach Fitness. Like I said, you never know. You might see Hulk Hogan. You might see Brutus Beefcake. What I can tell you is you won't see me because I don't go to the gym. But uh, <laughs> yeah. and I appreciate you having me on your, your podcast. Yes. All the fans out there, keep listening to this podcast. You'll hear many a story from many a great star. Whoa, to all my fans out. I love you all. It's funny, one thing the old-timers always know, and you'd see it every time that they you get one of them on this podcast, is when it's over, they just say goodbye and they, they, they sign off. They, they, they know when it's time to leave, when they've, uh, when they've told all the stories they're going to tell, and then they, and you got to give them credit for that. God bless. Luke, Luke was done, and he said, uh, did a little, uh, tribute to his fans and said, see you later, bye. God bless him. Great guy. Uh, hope you're able to, the accent's a little thick, so we hope you're able to understand that. We, we would do um we would do subtitles but you can't do subtitles on podcasts i was disappointed to find out uh but uh if you could get the if, if you don't understand every word of, of 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 everything he said you get certainly get the gist uh of the stories that he told and great stories and great stuff and and uh as i had mentioned a match with the fantastics when earlier when we were talking about going back and looking at some stuff i also mentioned the fabulous ones and some of the stuff in portland but uh he said that the match with the fantastics at the crockett cup in the superdome was a five-star match it was voted match of the year so i'm going to be sure to watch that later on and uh suggest you do too they were innovators uh of not only violence and and hardcore but were innovators of 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 of, of being able to put together the psychology of a tag team match that was really second to none and i always hate sounding like a bitter old guy and i didn't mean to come off as that but it's really uh like we talked about a lost start and uh be nice to see it come back but it's a different business now and it's making a lot more money so nobody's really complaining uh, about that so uh want to thank bushwhacker luke be sure to visit him at clearwater beach fitness if you're ever in town and uh 
In addition, he will be at the New England Fan Fest in a couple of weeks, so uh, go check him out there. And he's always he's always making appearances all over the place. And uh, I guarantee you one thing: he will treat you with uh, total class. And uh, you'll he'll he'll even if, I think if you uh, get an autograph or pose for a picture, he'll uh, he'll throw in a story or two. And he has a, probably thousands of them from fifty plus years in professional wrestling. God bless him, and uh, we thank him again. For being on City Ringside, looking forward to having Chavo Jr., Lilani Kai, Jim Ross, and other great guests in the coming weeks and months. And uh, thank you so much for listening, uh, supporting the podcast. If you can, please uh, leave a review. If you haven't already, please subscribe, and we'll end up in your inbox uh, every Monday morning. And uh, we really appreciate the support. Until next time, I'm David Penzer, still City Ringside. Follow David Penzer on Twitter at David Penzer. Also make sure to follow the show on Twitter at Penzer Ringside. You've been sitting ringside with David Penzer on Radio Influence. Radio Influence strives to bring you excellence in podcasting. We work with personalities like TV chef Brian Duffy, radio personalities like Ian Beckles and DJ Eakin, news and political pundits like Vincent Hill, and independent journalists Frank and Tracy Beans, experts from the sports world like veteran football scout and coach Chris Landry, pro wrestling personality David Penzer, MMA experts Jason Floyd and Daniel Galvan, and strength and conditioning coach Jeff Crochelle. If you're looking for food, sports, music, entertainment, politics, no matter the topic, Radio Influence has something for everyone. All of Radio Influence's programming can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Podcasts, and RadioInfluence.com.